Jeremiah chapter 20. Jesus' name, forgive me. In verse 1, now Peshur, the son of Emmer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Peshur smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it came to pass on the morrow that Peshur brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then said Jeremiah unto him, The Lord hath not called thy name Peshur, but Megor Misabib. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will make thee a terror to thyself. To all thy friends, they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and thine eyes shall behold it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive into Babylon, and shall slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the strength of this city, and all the labors thereof, and all the precious things thereof, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah will I give into the hand of their enemies, which shall spoil them, and take them, and carry them to Babylon. And thou, Peshur, and all that dwell in thine house shall go into captivity. Thou shalt come to Babylon, there thou shalt die, and shalt be buried there, thou and thy friends, to whom thou hast prophesied lies. O Lord, conversation changes. Verse 6, he's talking to Peshur. Verse 7, Jeremiah is talking to God. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily everyone mocketh me for since i spake i cried out i cried violence and spoil because of the word of the lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily verse 9 then i said i will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay then I said I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. I'm going to preach tonight with the help of the Holy Ghost, a word that won't stop. A word that won't stop. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this evening. God, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for those who are here tonight 
to hear your word. Lord, I pray that your will would be accomplished. God, I pray that you would move in a mighty way in this house tonight. God, that you would confirm your word, that you would help us, God, that you would move in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, I magnify your name. God, I thank you. I give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory. Anoint our hearts. Anoint our minds tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He came from a family of priests. He was the son of Hilkiah. He lived one of the most dramatic lives in the Bible. And he prophesied while his nation was teetering on the brink of captivity. He was given an unusual direction from God that he was never to marry. He was never to attend happy or sad events. He was directed to avoid human emotion as much as possible. So he would never be confused about the way that God wanted him to feel. So why was he called the weeping prophet if he wasn't supposed to feel human emotions? He was called to feel what God felt. And so for 40 years, Jeremiah, during the reign of five different kings, he would give their nation's leader messages that the leader did not want to hear. They would arrest him. They would imprison him. They would nearly kill him. They would lower him down into pits of mire where had he been left there, his flesh would have rotted from his bones. But Jeremiah persisted. He warns them, and they ignore him. He warns them, and they ignore him. For 40 years, he warns, they ignore. Now, in the end, if you were to read the end of the book of Jeremiah, then you would understand that Jeremiah himself would become more prominent than the kings and leaders who hated him. But in the meantime, he warns them and they ignore him. He does the work of God and they ignore him. He's constantly alone and they ignore him. He prays. He gets a word from God. He preaches. He declares it. And they ignore him. They smack him. They beat him. They arrest him. They ignore him. If we were to go to chapter 19 to get a little backstory about chapter 20, 
in verse 10, we would find God's leading and directing Jeremiah uh, to preach the sermon that would cause chapter 20's reaction. He said, Then thou shalt break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee. You shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people in this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Tophet till there be no place to bury. Thus will I do unto this place, saith the Lord, and to the inhabitants thereof, and even make this city as Tophet. Well, what's the big deal, Pastor? Jeremiah is commanded to grab a bottle, to grab a vessel. Jewish historians would tell you that more than likely it's a vessel that had once contained honey. Now it's empty. Therefore, signifying Israel, you were once sweet to me. But now you're empty. Now you're going to be broken. He said you're going to take this vessel and you're going to shatter it on the ground in front of everyone that's around them. You're going to do an object lesson, Jeremiah. And you're going to tell them that they, their city is going to be as Tophet. They are going to be buried in Tophet. And they're going to be buried there until there is no other place to bury another body. It's going to become a mass grave. The houses of Jerusalem in verse 13 and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled as the place of Tophet. Because of all the houses upon whose roofs they have burned incense unto all the hosts of heaven and have poured out drink offerings unto other gods. Then came Jeremiah from Tophet, whither the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he's standing in the court of the Lord's house and he says to all the people, Hey, this is what God is wanting to do. This is what God is going to do because you've hardened your necks. You have not heard my words. So on. And so forth. He grabs the vessel, he breaks it, he shatters it on the floor, and he begins to preach. This is what God is going to do. Well, what is the big deal, Pastor? What was Tophet? He just told them, you're not going to have a proper burial. But Tophet is the place where the city of Jerusalem took their garbage. It's also the place where other scriptures call it Hinnom or the Valley of Hinnom, which is where when Israel would slide backward into idolatry and they would begin worshiping the false god Molech, that they would take their children there. The name Tophet means drum, and it is indicative of the drums that would have to beat so as Israel would grab their children and throw them into the fire unto Molech that the drums would drown out the sound of the screaming children. Now try being that preacher. The Bible says that when Jeremiah walks into the court of the house of the Lord, he came from Tophet. Jeremiah walks in, Brother Ezekiel, and he smells like Tophet. 
He comes in and he's got the remnants of Tophet on his garments. He's got the remnants of Tophet upon his shoes. He's got the smell of Tophet burning in his nostrils. He smells the garbage. He smells the rotting carcasses and the rotting corpses of children that have been aborted unto a false god. And he walks in and he's got a vessel in his hand and he's saying, Israel, uh, figuratively Israel, you used to be sweet as honey. You used to dwell in a land that flowed with milk and honey. And that's what God saw in you. And that's what you were like to God. But he had to crush everything about you. He had to, to, to break you. He's got to break you and do this and do that. That's the kind of messages that Jeremiah had the privilege of preaching. And he stood with the broken pieces at his feet proclaiming that their houses would lie in ruins, that they would bury their dead in a garbage dump. Smells like Tophet. He's had to go to that place. Imagine him walking in and imagining, imagine with me the stench. You don't just walk into a place like that and walk out without being affected. You don't just walk into to a place like that and, and walk out without being scarred mentally. I know what it was like walking through the streets of Manila and smelling the raw sewage running down the side of the street. I remember what it was like when I saw the young man sitting on the side of the street when, and, and more than likely the crime syndicates had gotten hold of him and they had burnt his eyes out. He was scarred all over his body and they had him sitting there and, and had him begging for, for money for these gangs and for the organized crime. You cannot possibly see something like that and just walk away. Whoa, Jeremiah, you could have at least taken a bath before you came in. Dramatic much? Jeremiah, what are you doing? What is the point of all of this? And he's standing there with the remnants of that place on him in chapter 19, and he's got to declare what thus saith the Lord. And as the words come out of his mouth, we transition from chapter 19 to chapter 20. And there's a son of the priest who is the chief governor of the house of the Lord. He's the one in charge of making sure the house of the Lord stays the house of the Lord and stays clean and stays pure and stays holy. But he's so far backslidden that he doesn't even recognize what's going on. Jeremiah would later tell him, he said, you and all of your friends that you, you false prophesied to. 
And the man walks up as if he's, he's condemning Jeremiah for just coming in like that. But then he hears the words of Jeremiah and he comes up and he balls his fist and he punches the man of God across the face. And Jeremiah has to look at him and Jeremiah has to say, Pashur, God is getting ready to change your name. You are going to be a terror to yourself. Jeremiah had just left a place of abomination. He had just left a place and he smells like it. He's got it burning in his nose. He cannot get rid of it. Now he has the stench of a false prophet take him out, they put him in stocks, they put him in bonds. He goes on. And he's going to tell the son of the preacher, you're going to be carried away into Babylon and you're going to die there. Verse 7, we find the struggle of Jeremiah as he's trying to push down his human emotion. God, they call me the weeping prophet because you're weeping over your people and I'm having to feel the way that you feel. But God, you've deceived me. I was deceived, and you're stronger than I am, God. You can handle those feelings. I can't handle those feelings. You can handle this kind of work. I can't handle this kind of work. You've got all power. I don't have all power. You've got all wisdom. You've got all knowledge. I don't have those things, God. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. I'm standing by myself. They don't understand why I live this way. They don't understand why I act this way. They don't understand why I talk this way. They don't understand why I preach this way. They don't understand why I dress this way. They don't understand why I move this way. They don't understand what governs my life. They mock me, God, for since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because that's what you told me to say. The word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me. God, every time you gave me a word, it felt like bile rising up in the back of my throat. Do I really have to say that? Do I really have to preach that? Do I really have to go there? Forty years and five kings. I preach. They ignore. I witness. They ignore. I evangelize. They ignore. They mock me. I try to ignore. God, you've commanded me to go so far. We think we've got it bad. Jeremiah, you're not going to a birthday party. You're not going to a funeral. You're not going to a wedding. 
You're not going to marry. You're not going to date. You're not going to have a social media account. You're not going to vote. They didn't. But he wouldn't have been able to. There's too many emotions involved. Thank you, I brought you back a little bit. You've got one servant, Baruch. That's it. God, I'm having a real hard time with these emotions. Because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me in a derision daily. This was not a once a month thing. This was not a once a week thing. This was not a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night prayer, Wednesday night service kind of thing. But it was daily. Jeremiah, you're doing too much. Jeremiah, you're preaching too much. Your whole life is consumed. Jeremiah, would you just go out to eat with us? There's nothing wrong with going out to eat. But there would have been for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you can't have a close-knit group of friends. That's what God called Jeremiah to. And Jeremiah got so wore out by the process and so wore out by the calling that he said, God, I'm done. I'm done. I won't do it anymore. I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. God, I'm going to the grocery store and I'm not passing out one church card. You can't make me. I'm going to the market and I'm not witnessing to anyone. I'm going to church and I'm not going to even testify. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to testify. I'm not going to shake the usher's hand. I'm going to bite my thumb at him when I walk in the door. I want to feel some emotion. I'm wore out. I'm not speaking of you. I'm not making mention anymore of your name. I'm not even wearing my Jerusalem First Pentecostal Church hoodie. I'm turning in my major profit card. In fact, I'm not even going to transition to the minor profit club. I'm just done. I'm done. God. You understand where Jeremiah was at? 
God, I'm tired of getting slapped. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I'm tired of preaching my guts out. I'm tired of knocking on doors. I'm trying to convince. I'm tired of convincing. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of preaching. I'm tired of evangelizing. I'm tired of trying to convert. I'm I'm tired of trying to make them believe. I'm done, God. I'm done. I'm not talking about you. I'm not teaching another Bible study. I'm not speaking of you anymore. Don't talk to me. We're fighting. I'm going to forget how to preach. That's Jeremiah 20, verse 9a. But by the time you get to Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, section B, Jeremiah said, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire that was shut up in my bones. David put it this way. He said, my heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned then spake I with my tongue but Jeremiah said his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay I was tired of holding back I could not stay it I could not endure it any longer Jeremiah was exhausted emotionally his emotions were on display and his in his anguish he starts making accusation against God he starts implying God you lured me into this extremely negative ministry yes my dad was a priest yes I'm from the the Levitical priesthood but God you got it wrong here By all accounts, I should be with Peshur in the house of God going about the daily ministry. But instead, I'm like John the Baptist. I misunderstood. I misquoted. I misconstrued. I'm alone. I'm isolated. I'm in quarantine. And you brought me here. And this is what you called me to do. And I don't understand it. And has anybody ever been there before? I don't understand it. I'm alone. I'm this. And I'm that. And Jeremiah's got feelings like you and I have feelings. Jeremiah has emotions like you and I have emotions. But note with me today that God did not stop using Jeremiah for what he uttered in Jeremiah chapter 20 verses 7 through 9. He did not stop using him for three verses worth of insinuation. But he said instead, I'm going to make sure that that's in the book. So you know that this is okay to feel. That you know that this is uh, this is how Jeremiah felt but you got to come to the same revelation that Jeremiah came to I'm not preaching my own words and when I come into the house of God and I don't feel like getting with it there's something that wells up inside of me it's a word that cannot be stopped I can't shut the flow off 
I could tell you stories tonight of preachers who have backslid. I could tell you stories tonight of preachers, very well-known preachers that have fallen into sin. Even to this day, they do not live for God. But even to this day, I have it on very good confidence that God is still dropping messages to be preached into their spirit. Why? Because his gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And we serve a God whose word cannot be stopped. And Jeremiah said, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to preach it. I didn't want to witness it. I didn't want to share it. But every time I tried to clamp it up, every time I tried to shut it down, there was something on the inside of me that I could not stop. And it was within me like a burning in my bones, like fire shut up in my bones because this is not just what I do, ladies and gentlemen. This is who I am. That's why they can mock. That's why they can say, just throw in the towel. That's why they can say, you know what? Just don't do it any longer. They're taking advantage of. They're doing this. And they're, God's running you ragged. But let me preach to you today that this is not what I do. But this is who I am. And we've got a word. And we've got an anointing that will not stop. And Jeremiah said, I try to choke back on it. I tried to pull the reins on it. I tried to dig my spurs in. I tried to put the brakes on it. I hit the handbrake. I hit the parking brake. I tried dropping it in park from drive. I tried shutting it down. I tried putting it in reverse. I tried changing my identity. But this is simply not something that I can change because it's who I am. It's what I am, not just what I do. burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary with forbearing. I thought I was worn out from doing the work of God. But what I came to the revelation of was that I was more tired trying to avoid the work of God than I was doing the work of God. I was weary with forbearing. Physically exhausted. And I could not stay. I could not endure it. It had to come out. Because it's a word that won't stop. The world did not understand it. The religious leaders of the day did not understand it. 
But Jeremiah said, you know, I came to a point where I was done and I was over it. My emotions got the best of me. And I tried to put a dam into the flow of the work of God through me. And even though it started dwindling down to a trickle, just coming out, that everybody saw the trickle because they were on the other side of the dam. But what they could not feel was the immense pressure inside of me on the backside of the dam. And it was building, and it was building, and it was building, not because it was a title, not because it was a position, not because it was just something that I wanted to do, not because it was a hobby, but it was building, and it was building, and it was building, because this is who I am, and this is who God's called me to be. And sooner or later, Jeremiah said, this dam is going to break, because this is a word that will not stop. Isaiah 55 and verse 10, For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth, and bud that it may give seed to the sower. Thank you, Brother Stender. And bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Jeremiah, I know you don't see the results right now. I know you don't feel it right now. I know you're wore out right now. But you need to hear the word of the Lord tonight that you're sowing beyond where you can see. And you're going to reap beyond where you know right now. But you're sowing into an everlasting kingdom. Every time you grab a handful of flyers, every time you knock on a door, you're sowing a seed in a realm beyond the physical. You're sowing into an everlasting kingdom. You're sowing a word that will not be stopped you're sowing every time you do it you're grabbing the sledgehammer and you're taking another swing at the dam every time you come to Tuesday night prayer meeting and you don't feel like it you're taking another swing at the dam every time you come to church and you don't feel like it you're taking another swing at the dam it's building, it's building, it's building. It's a word that cannot be silenced. It will not be returned void, but it will be spoken. It must be spoken. It's a word that won't stop. The rains began. August the 5th, 1975. As a typhoon was making its way through the Henan province in eastern China. And the downpour was so cataclysmic that witnesses reported that the ground was strewn with dead birds who had been pelted to death by the force of the falling water. The rainfall 
from that one day exceeded the yearly average. The next day, it poured for another 16 hours. The day after that, for 13 more. And all the while, the nearby Banquo Dam, which crossed the powerful Rue River, it was designed to handle a half meter of rainfall over three days. But at this point in time, it had rained six times that amount. Because of flooding further down the valley, workers had been ordered not to release too much water from the Banquo Dam. But after the first day, communication lines went down. So the workers were forced to guess what they should do. In the nighttime darkness on August 8th, a line of people frantically through waist-deep water began to pile sandbags on top of the dam. The rain still pouring. In the villages below, there were millions of people asleep. Shortly after midnight, the water rose just over a foot above the dam's crest. And then the water appeared to retreat. The storm clouds cleared. The night sky shone with stars. And for the first time in days, there was silence. The people began to shout, The flood is retreating! Moments later, they hear a terrible noise that some described as sounding like the sky was collapsing and the earth was cracking. An older woman looked up from her work and began to yell, The river dragon is coming! The equivalent of nearly 300,000 Olympic sized swimming pools burst through the dam. A wall of water nearly 20 feet high and over 7 miles wide surged through the villages below. Banquo's bursting set off a domino effect down the river. By the time the night was over, 62 subsequent dams had burst and 26,000 people had drowned. Some managed to survive by climbing trees or gathering on roofs, but in the coming days, many of those who had initially survived met a much slower death. They were stranded with no food. They were stranded with no clean water. Food was airdropped but lost in the water or spoiled in the scorching summer heat. The people went as far as to try to survive by eating floating animal carcasses. Henceforth, disease spread quickly. In total, the death toll would swell between 171,000 and 230,000 
making it the worst energy disaster in history. Some would have called it the worst structural failure in history because the entire situation was preventable. The Banquo Dam was built in 1952 when the government sought to harness the Rue River. After a series of floods in the river basin, flooding had always plagued the region, but now the Republic would transform this potential tragedy into a literal source of power. Over a hundred dams were constructed all over the Chinese plains during this period. In 1955, after some flaws were discovered in the Banquo Dam, it was reinforced with the help of the Soviets and called the Iron Dam. It was said that the dam could not be broken. In his book, Heaven Cracks, Earth Shakes, James Palmer characterizes the dam building effort as an example of Maoist arrogance where leaders were determined to prove that man could conquer nature. During the planning, an engineer by the name of Chen Xin repeatedly raised red flags. When he suggested 12 sluices for drainage, the government whittled it down to five. Finally, he was removed from the project and sent away to another city. He was only brought back once the problems emerged in 1961 and then again after the disaster. Imagine his helpless rage as he sat next to the party officials and surveyed the devastation, the flooded landscape from above in an aerial tour. He was vindicated but this was the cost. After the tour, he heads to Beijing to lobby for explosives to clear the blocked channels. Because the dam could only hold so much. I can only block the moving of the Spirit so much. Imagine the pressure of water seven miles wide, 20 foot high, up to 230,000 dead. And it was all preventable if they had listened to the man who said, this is how the dam should be constructed. Trying to limit the flow of the water too much with the five sluices that would allow the water to come through. You need 12. You need more, but... 
but you're trying to cut costs and you're trying to whittle it down and trying to have too much control and so the dam was built incorrectly and don't get me wrong there are times and there are seasons where things have to be backed off and and the, 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 the only water coming through is the sluices but but let me tell you that it's got to be constructed right it's got to be constructed right. It's got to be planned. It cannot be. It's got to be proactive, not reactive. Jeremiah in chapter 20 and verse 7 is reacting. Seemingly justified. But Jeremiah said, I've tried it and I've determined that I cannot hold it back because it's a word that will not stop. And I've got to make up my mind. God, I know I felt like I needed a break, but more than I need a break, I need to be used by you. I don't want the pressure of not being used by you. God, I'd rather have the pressure of being used by you. I'd rather have the pressure of being a tool for your kingdom. This is how it ends for Jeremiah. Okay? This is how it ends. Nebuchadnezzar surrounds the city of Jerusalem. If you're up to date with your Bible reading, you read it. His army has surrounded the city of Jerusalem. His, his lead general comes into the city. The king of Judah at the time that would not listen to Jeremiah is killed. His body is left laying on top of the ground. They don't even see fit to give him a proper burial. Like garbage. Tophet. The general walks up to Jeremiah. The Israelites have Jeremiah in chains. Chaldean, the Babylonian general comes in and takes the chains off the man of God. And he said, Jeremiah, everything you said was of God. How do you know? You're Babylonian. But God is using a Chaldean general. To Jeremiah, I know they wouldn't listen to you, but you were right. Jeremiah, I know you told them if they would just come with us, they would not die. They wouldn't listen, but you were right. And because they wouldn't listen, because they wanted to fight, Nebuchadnezzar's putting an end to it. Jeremiah, you can come back with me. You can go back to Jerusalem. It's up to you. Man of God, you can do and you can go wherever you want to go. The king who had caused him problems is laying out bleaching in the sun. But man of God, woman of God, Every time you prayed and you didn't feel like praying, you were right. Every time you came to church and you didn't feel like coming to church, you were right.
every time you knocked a door and you didn't feel like knocking a door, you were right. Every time you taught a Bible study and you didn't feel like teaching a Bible study, you were right. Every time you preached the word and you didn't feel like preaching the word. Every time you led worship and you didn't feel like doing it. Every time you taught Sunday school. Every time you ran a bus. Every time you were here for prayer. Every time you put in the extra. Every time you cleaned the church and you didn't feel like cleaning the church. You were right. You were right. You were right. You were right. And God keeps good records. You're sowing into a kingdom beyond what you can see. And it might take a Chaldean general to walk in and speak what he has no business speaking. But God will use an unbeliever to confirm the word of the Lord. Because it's a word that cannot be stopped. You can't hold it back. Jeremiah, you had natural feeling. You didn't want to. You were tired. You were tired of the struggle. You were tired of the battle. But it was something that could not be stopped. And Jeremiah, because you refused to let your flesh reign, because you refused to let your flesh keep you out of the will of God, you can go where you want to go. You can do what you want to do. And he hands him a bag of money. A change of clothes. You can do it. If you want to go back to Jerusalem, go back. If you want to come to Babylon, come with me. We'll let you preach. We'll let you prophesy. We'll let you be who you are. Jeremiah goes back. Jeremiah's living in Jerusalem. Still being used by God. People are still ignoring. I really wish that would have changed. I really wish that would have been different. But it's a word that won't be stopped. And Jeremiah said, I'm not fighting it anymore. And I'm not just going to tell you what you want to hear. When the governor of Jerusalem would come back, the governor of Judah would come back and, and he would say, well, you know, this group of, of people came and there's a, a man by the name of Ishmael who little be known to the king, was actually an assassin who the king of Ammon had, had hired to come in and kill the new governor. And the man of God said, hey, listen, you don't, you don't want to do that. There's another man of God that comes in. He said, no, that, 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 that's not right. He's not right. You need to get rid of him. And another one of the, the men that was close to the governor, he said, you know what? Why don't you just let me go? I'll just slip out here. I'll just go take care of him. I'll just go kill him before he has a chance to kill me. By the time everything's said and done, the guy has a pit with 80 bodies in it. And then the remnant comes to Jeremiah. They say, hey, would you pray for us? Whatever you tell us, Jeremiah, we'll do. Well, I've heard that before. 
that's when you know they are not going to do whatever you tell them to do. Jeremiah said, I may have been bored at night. It weren't last night. He said, but I'll pray for you. He comes back out and he says, don't go to Egypt. You think you're going to escape, but don't do it. Well, that's not the word of God. Jeremiah, time after time after time. And every time, I, I don't believe that chapter 20 is the only time where he felt like closing the dam. I don't think chapter 20 and verse 7 was the only time that he was saying, God, I just don't know why you made me do this. I don't know why you called me to this way. God, if I just had never known about the church. Oh, God, if I had never, if they had never knocked on my door, if I'd never gotten the Holy Ghost, if I'd never been baptized in Jesus' name, then I'd have been a lot better than I am now. But it's something that cannot be held back. I don't believe that was the only time, but I do believe that Jeremiah said, Ah, oh, no, you're not damning up on me this time. Flesh, I won't let you damn up on me this time. I'm going to find a place to pray. I'm getting in the house of God. I'm getting into the spirit. I'm getting into the flow. And I'm going to make sure that every sluice, that every opening is open. I want God to, I know they're not going to hear me. I know there's a slim chance, but I'm going to speak it anyway because it's a word that won't stop. For the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. What was Paul telling the Corinthian church? He was telling them, hey, you need to hear me. The word of God is not yesterday and no tomorrow. It's not true today and false tomorrow. Because God called you yesterday doesn't mean he's uncalling you today. Just because he anointed you yesterday, he's not pulling his anointing off of you now. This isn't in my notes, but let me ask you the question. When does the anointing stop? You ask the woman whose, whose sons gathered up the vessels and she begins pouring out into the vessels. When did the anointing oil stop? When did the oil stop flowing? It stopped when the vessel stopped. It stopped when it didn't have anywhere else to go. It stopped when she stopped pouring. I catch myself praying, God, let me be anointed. God, anoint me tonight to preach your word. Listen, I'm already anointed. God, anoint me to lead this service in worship. If you're on the praise team, if you're being asked, you're already anointed. You don't have to question whether or not the anointing is there. If you're teaching a Bible study, brother or sister, you're anointed to teach a Bible study. You're anointed to use the word of God to win souls. You're anointed for such a time as this. The only time the anointing stops is when you and I put the dam in place. Well, I just, I want to, I just don't like the way that it flows. So let's, I know you told me to have 12, but let's whittle it down to five. The engineer, Mr. Zing, saying five might be plenty under normal operating circumstances.
when you're getting 18 plus meters of rain in three days. And it's six times the fervency. You need more than just the normal operating equipment. He's telling them you need more than double what you're asking for. God, if I teach one Bible study every five years, y'all are laughing. But why don't you take inventory? When's the last time you taught a Bible study? Listen, I love preaching. I really do. I wanted to be a preacher since I ever knew what a preacher was. I love preaching. But ministry doesn't start here. And I wish somebody had told me that a little earlier. Ministry doesn't start there. Ministry starts, first of all, in a prayer room. Just because I'm anointed doesn't mean the anointing is flowing through me. So if I'm not praying, it's damned up. And there's a big dam in the way called my flesh. And so it starts in a prayer room, and then it goes from there to winning souls. And that's really what ministry is. It's more than a pulpit. It's winning souls. You're a preacher. Your neighbor is a preacher. The one sitting across the room from you tonight is a preacher. You're all preachers. You're all preachers, but it doesn't start behind a pulpit. It starts sitting across the table from somebody teaching a Bible study. So, how many Bible studies have I taught? Some of the most spiritually revelational experiences I've had living for God have come when I was sitting on one side of the table and I was teaching somebody else the Word of God. Teaching them something that I thought I already knew, but I got a revelation of it. So, I don't want to... I, I, I know, Pastor, that teaching Bible studies is good, and, and maybe if I just taught five in my lifetime, it would be okay. And five would be good. But what if God's not calling you to five? What if He's saying you need twelve? Because there's there's something that I want to do through you that five cannot cut it. That five cannot contain it. You gotta start thinking bigger than five. You gotta start thinking bigger than six or bigger than seven, bigger than eight, nine, ten, or eleven. It cannot be held back. It's a word that won't stop. And I don't want to fight the pressure that I feel every time I walk into a prayer room. I don't want to fight the pressure. I don't want to try to hold it back. I don't want to try to contain.
ain't it? It's a word that won't stop. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing, piercing, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, it cannot be held back. It cannot be held back. But stand. Jeremiah. 31, verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Notice, this is Jeremiah. This is isolated, lonely, emotion-quenching Jeremiah. This is in stocks and in bonds, smacked, punched, hit by the son of the priest, Jeremiah. This is lowered into a pit of mire, Jeremiah. This is weeping prophet, Jeremiah. Behold, the days shall come. Or the days come, rather, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward hearts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people yes Isaiah you prophesied a lot about a Messiah but Jeremiah is ushering in he's prophesying of a new covenant God called a young boy he kept him from social events but gave him the prophecy of a new covenant instead of a thousand years trickle from broken cisterns there's a river of living water that begins to flow from a young boy's heart and out of that would flow the new covenant the foundation of the new testament In Jeremiah's prophecy, God would not write the covenant on tables of stone, but on people's hearts. And Jeremiah 31 becomes the foundation of every teaching of Jesus Christ himself, as well as the Apostle Paul. But in chapter 20 and verse 7, he's saying, God, you deceived me. God, you bribed me. You swindled me into this. But in Jeremiah 31, he's prophesying of a new covenant. He's prophesying of the gospel of Jesus Christ that would be written on the inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl who would allow it. All because he made a choice that he would not continue stopping the flow of the word of God from his mouth. I'm here to preach to you tonight, and I hope you grasp it. I hope you get it. Oh, there's going to be days, there's going to be times when you feel like throwing the towel in, where you feel like quitting, where you feel like giving up. But this, this, this is a word 
word that does not want to be stopped. This is a flow that does not want to be stopped. And God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God wants to work through you. He wants to work in you. I wonder if I have anybody here tonight that would say, you know what? I want the dam to break. I want it to break. I want to open it. I want him to use me. I want him to work through me tonight. I'm sowing into a kingdom. The cross would not get heavy.